Hello! And welcome to Belonging Before Believing. <laughs> the podcast where my kids are better than your kids. I'm Patrick Mathers, pastor of Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship. And I'm Brian Gumpy, the pissed off father of Zoe Gumpy. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> we went to this homeschool conference once back when we used to homeschool. Like, no, not even when we homeschooled. It was before we did. It was like a conference we went to decide if we wanted to do it or not. And okay. for some stupid reason, we decided to do it. And um, no, there was lots of reasons why we did it. But it was... <laughs> anyways. Sorry, kids. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Um, so we went there and... The speaker was some geologist or something like that. He lived in Colorado, and he had a cool hat, and <laughs> that's about all that was cool about him. But hope, hope you didn't spend too much money <laughs> on that degree, but I like your hat. Yeah, yeah. So he uh, he got up and proceeded to talk about how that the goal of Christian homeschooling or just homeschooling is that we want our kids to be better than every other kid out there, that we want to have the best kids in engineering, the best doctors, the best anthropologists, the best geologists, the best whatever. So if you're homeschooling your kid, your goal is to make your kid the absolute best at whatever it is they're striving to be. And at the time, I thought, geez, this guy's kind of intense. And then later on, after I thought more and more about it, I'm like, gosh, that's a lot of pressure. That's like a lot of guilt. That's guilt. That's straight up a guilt trip. Like, if your kids aren't the best, then your kid, then, then basically you failed as a parent, as a homeschooling parent. And then there, when I gave the very last message, when uh, we were we were finished homeschooling. They asked me to give a, I'm not sure what the right phrase is, but a commencement. Little, yeah, but it wasn't a full on commencement speech. It was, but it was part of the commencement at the graduation. Yes, it was a verbal graduation high five. Except I come. I only talked about failure, and low, I t- <laughs> low five down low. You too slow. I talked about why you're you're all failures and why that's a good thing and why you should embrace that and you should be happy and that what we should be teaching our kids is about grace and joy and we should be teaching them about mercy rather than about being the best and being successful that they should be able to embrace failure and I never got asked to do anything ever again. I was going to say, how'd it go? Yeah, nobody talks to me anymore. Not a single person from that entire world talks to me anymore. A whole world was severed from Patrick's life. So here's what I got to say to you. Give you the four finger salute. Yes. Sorry. You yes. can take that any way you want, listener. <laughs> there were four fingers. There were. I can vouch. Yep. Yep. There were. Great. Hey. What made you think of that? What do you mean? Like to tell that story right now. Just, I like talking. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that story? Nothing, not a thing. Not a thing. Normally, I, I got feel lots like, of stories. Normally, I what? feel like I can connect the dots on like what no, there's no dots. <laughs> you think too highly of me. <laughs> if you think I know where I'm going when I open my mouth and start talking, you are high. I'm not. I know you're not, <laughs> but you kind of must be a little bit. No, you do think more highly of me than you should. I'm high on grapefruit sparkling water. 
that you try to tell me tastes like grapefruit sculpin and there's no. not a chance in H E double hockey sticks that that tastes no, like grapefruit sculpin. No, that's not what you I said, said those words. Oh. You said those words. No. You no. said those words. I'm being misrepresented. You said those words. <sighs> I'm moving on. <laughs> we have a question. <laughs> so, is this from an actual person or did you make it up? I have not made up uh, no, I didn't make up one. You question. did make up a. One. You made up like two or three. I made up one. You can't. You. you I didn't make up any questions. <laughs> I know. All right, I did. <laughs> so today's question is: What makes a church a church? Which while Pat hey, is hey, this is from from Lee. Yeah. I love her. She's great. She is great. Adam's Loyal great. listener since pretty much day one. I love those guys. Yeah. Their little boy, that guy is a whip. I love it. A whip. A whip. Like he's sharp. No, I, I, I'm following you. <laughs> it's just not something. Do, 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 do. What he's, up, dude? He's such a whip. So smart that he could have been one of those homeschool kids where his parents think he's got to be the best all the time, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, well, this is getting way off track. Yes, this is a question is from Lee. Um, what makes a church a church? We were just talking about this yesterday, too. Um, we started. We were? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. We the just started a new book. Yeah, that's right. We started our a new book. Men's study at Secret Trail. Um, Joe Thorne's character of the church. Yeah, character of the church. It's yeah. my favorite book of the three. Yeah, yeah. And so it is very much top of mind for the two of us right now. Yeah. So Pat, what makes a church a church? Well, in in our in the book, he gave five specific things, but I I am of the opinion, and I like the threefold distinction of what is a church that came about during the time of the Reformation. And what that means is that during the 1500, 1600-ish, mostly 1500s, that there was a move away from the Catholic Church and what it had become, which was a... Business. A business, a bloated... um, a bloated magisterium, a business. It was it was awful. And so they moved away from that. What they tried to do first is reform the church, right? They tried to 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 That's drain the swamp. Re- <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> and and it didn't work then and it's not working now. Are you watching Fox News today or something? I feel no. like you had like a handful of Trumpisms today. Dude. No, okay. no, I have not. Oh, just tremendous. Everybody knows that. If you've seen Alec Baldwin <laughs> do his little impression, you know that. Um, um, but yeah, that's why it's called the Reformation. They're trying to reform the church, but it failed in the sense that they didn't reform the Roman Catholic Church. And so the Protestant Church was born out of their protestation of the Roman Catholic Church not allowing for the reforms to take place. So with that happening is they said that there are three marks of a true legitimate church. Number one is the true right preaching of the word of God. Number two, that the sacraments or the ordinances are rightly administered. And number three, that discipline church discipline is accurately practiced and handled. Graciously, I believe is... Well, that's what Joe Thorne added. That's yeah. I, I. Oh, everything else you said is like almost exactly what he said. Yeah, so. yeah. So, what, well, no, he had leadership and discipleship. No, no, no. no. I just meant the adjectives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, to let, let me break those three down, and then maybe we can riff on that um, maybe. a little bit. So, if, yeah, as I talk, 
you talk to. <laughs> I always do. <laughs> um, so right preaching of the scripture. So w- what that w- meant was that when we read the Bible, we take the Bible for what it says, we believe what it says, and we don't need a hierarchical structure of uber-learned scholars in order to interpret the meaning for us, or even an infallible individual who disseminates the meaning of what the scripture is and what the church should be, but that we can read the Bible, hear it preached for ourselves, and understand that this is the true and legitimate word of God. Meaning that when I, when you hear the word of God rightly preached, what you should hear is the Bible open, the Bible explained, the Bible taught, and then the Bible... Um, what's the right word? It, given to you in a sense that you should do something in response to this. Oh. Exhortation. Yeah. You should be exhorted to move. You should hear the word preached, hear the word taught, and you should be exhorted to do something or based applied. upon what you heard. Yeah, you should hear it applied. That's the, generally speaking, that's the proper meaning of hear, the Bible rightly preached. Right. Um. And and how how did you say the ordinances again? So the the ordinance is rightly administered. Rightly administered. And so this was a uh, a question that was asked at study last night. Um, so you have the ordinances, which are baptism and uh, communion, Lord's supper. Yeah, communion. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. those are the only two. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. have seven. Like that's one of the things that we reformed. Right. From is they have seven in the Catholic Church. We have foot washing. And no, not foot washing. Although the Brethren Church still holds the foot washing, right. which is okay. The reason what makes something and this is a good question, good thing. Yeah. What makes something an ordinance? Why foot washing isn't is because although Jesus did it, you never see the disciples practicing it in the Book of Acts, and you never see it taught about in the rest of the epistles. So the reason why we say these two ordinances are the ordinance of the church is Christ gave it to us. Christ told us how to do it. The apostles did it in the book of Acts. And then the epistles teach us how to rightly continue to do those things. Foot washing doesn't fall into that category. So the question that was asked last night is um, baptism and communion, pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it important to emphasize rightly administered? Like, is it that hard to administer it that you have to specify it has to be administered rightly? Yeah, well, sure it does, because if you are administering baptism wrong, then you're conveying to somebody that they're in a right standing with God when they might not be in a right standing with God. So infants, for example, when they're baptized, you're communicating to the people that they are a part of uh, the new covenant when we would see that those who are believers are the ones who are a part of the covenant that God has given in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you either have Adam as your head or Christ as your head and you baptize an infant, who is their head? That's a puzzling question. Mm-hmm. So you need to have the ba- you need to have baptism rightly administered. With communion is the same thing. If you are administering communion and you're saying that this is literally the body and blood of Christ, transubstantiation, you're saying that this is almost the body of Christ. He's in and around and upon and through consubstantiation. If you're saying those those types of things, then you're communicating t- something to somebody that I 
would go so far as to say is that you have the potential to be re-crucifying Christ, which the writer to the Hebrews gives us a very strict warning against doing. Now, I'm not saying my Lutheran brethren are re-crucifying Christ, but I think that there is an implication there behind that. So what we would want to say is that we would want to follow the pattern of 1 Corinthians 11 that lays out how to perform the Lord's Supper and follow that example and no other. We wouldn't want to go further and say something further than it does. So when Jesus says, this is my body, we understand he's not literally saying, here's my arm flesh. Here's, I'm going to open up this artery in my neck and squirt some blood into your little thimble cup. Wow. Drink it. Well, I mean, no, I know it's fine. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 a picture. Sorry, it's kids. A, it's an implica- <laughs> It's a it's a type. It's it's something that we're supposed to, as we partake of it, be reminded of Christ, commune with Christ in a way that we do uniquely and distinctly in the worship service, but that we are not partaking of or partaking in the body and blood of Christ. So that is not exactly the direction that I thought you would go. So one, some of the things that we talked about, like how do you not or administer communion but not rightly? We were talking about like Doritos and soda pop. Well, we talked about and, that on but, an episode, didn't we? Uh, I think it was oh, lightning that round. Oh, nabbit lightning round. Yeah. Um, but also, um, can you do communion when it's not at a church service? I, I would say no. Right. Okay, but I would qualify that because I think that you could legitimately, if somebody was bedridden and you had a group of believers around you, because the whole point of communion is we are as a congregation acknowledging the gospels for us and acknowledging the work that Christ did for us and bringing us into the new covenant because he says he won't eat of the the bread or drink of the vine until he comes again and that these are representations of the new covenant and in him. So I would say that, yeah, but we would want to have a group of people around that bedridden person, you know, to, to constitute a congregation. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I've done that a couple of times where I've gone somewhere where somebody's bedridden and, and usually I, you know, well, all the times that I've done it, I've had three or four or five of us in the room and we've all partaken together. Right, but the point is, it's not something that you're ever going to do alone, or just at or, home with your family right. for family worship. Right, or, you know, it's not like that. It's the it's a corporate coming together, and everybody's doing it. It's for the church. Right, right, and that's the correction that comes in First Corinthians eleven, as he says there that that you know the the problem is is only half the church was showing up, and they were having a potluck basically, and calling that communion, calling that the Lord's supper. And Paul has to say, no, that's not the Lord's Supper. Bread and wine is the Lord's Supper. What you're doing is wrong because you're not waiting for the entire congregation to be there. So you should all partake together. So that's why we would say the kinds of things like we are right now. Right. So point three. Well, we blaze through the preaching of Scripture, but I think that that was, that's probably, yeah. it is on its face. Huh? So discipline. Okay, so, we, and this is one thing we did talk hashtag about. Hashtag church life. Hashtag, oh, shut up. <laughs> Okay. Oh I, you know, I have to tell the story now. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to go get another beer while you're doing this. <laughs> this will be the first time that I will have the microphone all to myself. Oh, you heard that door slam? Angsty. Okay. 
So Pat's leaving because I told this story at Bible study last night too. So our church was getting ready to potentially merge with another church. And so we had our bylaws, our church documents, and uh, our, um, our board was going through it and making it and making edits to where it was. Uh, yeah, I found a tropical torpedo. Nice. It was going to be something that made sense to everybody involved. And so under the section in our bylaws where it addresses discipline, how dare you interrupt me? Nobody cares about this story. <laughs> Joel does. I don't care about Joel. <laughs> Pat had made an edit where the heading oh, on this Stop section telling this was story. church discipline, but he changed it to church life. <laughs> So now whenever the issue of discipline comes up, me and Joel make eye contact and do hashtag church life. Oh my gosh. So there you go. You're welcome, listener. <laughs> Anyways, I got another beer out of it. So I w- it's a win-win, I guess. Please tell no, us okay, about church here's, life. Just shut up. Here's wh- okay. All right. Here's why I did it. <laughs> you love grinding my gears, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Almost as much as you love grinding mine. Oh, I think you do more. <laughs> So, um, okay, the, the, what, what happened there is, so in our bylaws, one of the things that it does go into detail about is that, that discipline is, has a both positive and a negative um, aspect to it. And typically when you hear the word discipline, especially in the context of church, you immediately think of the negative. Oh, somebody's coming and busting my chops about my sins. Somebody's coming and telling me. Somebody's in know, trouble. Yeah, somebody's in trouble. I did something wrong. Oh, no, they're kicking somebody out of the church kind of thing. And... Discipline, when it is rightly administered, is not that. I have just very recently tried to start running again. And one of the things that I need to do is discipline myself to do it. And I need other people to discipline me. So good old Andrew Riggs, which has yet to be on this show, but he's been mentioned quite a few times and comes to our studies, but he... Um, is doing this this SoulCon thing, which is a pretty cool ministry for ex-military guys. But part of the aspect of it is a physical training along with spiritual training and, dis- and discipline. And so he's like urging me along. He's nudging me along kind of gently, kind of not. <laughs> but he's very encouraging with it. But that is a form of discipline. He's, he is disciplining me. All I, although I bristle at it, and I push back against it. The fact is, it's positive. Well, don't, don't we push back healthy. on most discipline, though? Oh, for sure, yeah. for sure. But it's positive and it's healthy. It, it's not something when we talk about discipline in that context. Nobody's like, "Oh, that sucks. The church shouldn't be doing that." Everybody understands. Oh, yeah, of course, that's something we're going to be doing because we want to pursue holiness. We want to be more like Jesus. And part of being more like Jesus is that we need to have people who are like Jesus come alongside us and encourage us in certain things. So Riggs, he's encouraging me in this running, exercising, you know, thing that I'm doing. And here I'm drinking a bunch of beers. But <laughs> sorry, Riggs. But <laughs> he he's he's disciplining me. Now, if I were to just completely quit doing it, he would discipline me in the negative sense. He would be telling me, you really need to be doing this. 
This is something that's for your health, for your benefit, for your family's benefit. This is something that you need to do. It's something that you committed to do. You told me you'd do it. You're going back on your word. And so suddenly it takes a negative aspect. Both of those things are healthy. Both of those ways that he's dealing with me are right. In the church, we have a similar way of talking about discipline. There's a positive discipline, which I just talked about, but there's also a negative discipline that when someone gets into some serious sin, they need to be called out on it. Um, The Bible teaches us that there's a way to do it properly and rightly. And the way to do that, and I've been in very few churches that do this, to be perfectly honest, but the right way to do it is that if you see personally somebody sinning against you or somebody sitting around you, you're supposed to go to them one-on-one, you and them alone, tell them the issue. And if they repent, the Bible says, well, you've gained your brother or sister. And if they don't repent, then you're supposed to take two or three people with you. Now that's not to gang up on the person. There's, there's a protection there because maybe the person who was initially going to the person who was perceived doing wrong was actually wrong. And so this group's going to be able to say, no, wait a second. Why'd you go to them in the first place? That wasn't right. Or they're able to agree with the person who was um, going to them in the first place. And either way, there's a little bit of pressure there. It's true. But everybody wants to see that person repent and person, you know, have that relationship restored with Christ and a relationship restored within the church. And then the final thing is that you do indeed tell it to the church. And the whole point of the church, telling the church there is not to gossip. In fact, it's the opposite of gossip. You're publicly telling everybody so that everybody goes and tries, because the assumption is we all as a body love this person enough that we don't want them to see, we don't want to see them continuing going down the road that they are. And so we're going to go to them and try to persuade them to repent and then finally, it's you would treat them like an unbeliever tax collector. So um, I had only seen that occur one time in my life before I got to Sovereign Joy. And it well, like, only one sense. We had to do it once. Right, right, right. But it blew my mind. Yeah. And I remember sitting there, and I think I was like probably like 17. And I like saw it. Because, I mean, that we went right to Matthew 18, and he explained, yeah. like, why we were doing what we were doing. I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. This is biblical. I see that. But how have I gone, like, so many years, and I've just never seen this before? I was like, wait, so you're doing, like, exactly what the Bible says to do. Okay, do you want to uh, My personal opinion is just people don't have the stones to do it. Yep, 100%. I agree. I, I, don't, I don't know any other way to say it other it's than that. It's pretty clear. Yeah, it's pretty clear. It's not and like there's like multiple interpretations. Right. I mean, I'm sure that there are, but there are. nobody really is misunderstanding what's going on right. there. He's pretty clear, right? Yeah. Jesus is not mincing words or yeah. he's not using metaphor. He, It's pretty straight up. If If I had been in churches where this had happened... I would probably still be in those other churches where right. where I would have been because of the sin that was committed against me. But um, but that's neither here nor there. I've sinned against other people too, and they haven't come to me. But this is the way we're supposed to do it. And so if we do it rightly, and we do it decently and in order, then it's going to have a discipline's going to have a positive and a negative effect on the congregation, and both of those are healthy. So when we talk about what is a church, it's a church that has the Word of God preached rightly. I, I want to think we're doing 
okay in that area since I'm the preaching pastor in our congregation. I work really hard at preparing sermons and going through the text and studying it on the in the little bit of time that I honestly have during the week. But I try to work hard at putting a really good sermon together that's going to be meat for your soul and hopefully some good application. Uh, we, we, both of us together, have a desire to properly administer the sacraments rightly, and we want to see church discipline done. And like, I, like we've said, we've had to do it yeah. in this church, and unfortunately, in one instance, go all the way to the end. But for the most part, it's like, you know, you sin against me or I sin against you, and we go to each other and we're like, dude, we're like, okay, yeah, you're right. And we repent, right? I mean, that's that's the way it's supposed to work. And I want to say, I hope that nine times out of ten, that's the way it works. And so it never gets to the rest of the church because, yeah. yeah, because we just deal with it on our own. And we go to each other and we're like, hey, dude, what the crap? And we're like, yeah, you're right. That was stupid. And, and we repent and we move on. So if a group of people has these three things in place, it's a church. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I know that there's a couple other things that people add, like proper leadership. Like development of leadership and like Le- structure. Yeah, and, and, and discipleship, regular discipleship, meaning like community groups, small groups, one-on-one discipleship kind of things. Which My to personal be... opinion is that those happen within the context of discipline. Sure. Well, and I was going to say, it's not like we have anything to hide behind by not including that in our three. No, because right. we have those things right. anyway. Well, we have those things, but I think those. So the leadership, I think, is both the result of proper discipline and a result of good and healthy preaching. I think that those two things together are going to result in healthy, good leadership and people being developed as leaders. Along with discipline, if I'm going to sit and try to, um, what's the right way, like bring somebody along in leadership, what's the right phrase that I'm trying to think of? Uh, Disciple them, mentor them. Mentor them, that kind of thing. If I'm going to do that, there's going to be an element of discipline involved where both positive and negative, like, hey, you're doing good in this area, encouragement, and hey, in this area, you really need to kind of tie up those shoestrings there, buddy, or you're going to trip. You know, yeah, and and that's good, and and we we need all of those kind of things. So I would see those as subcategories of the other three that we've talked about. You know, there are other things that happen. We sing, you know, we sing specific songs, we pray in the context of our services. I think both of those things constitute a healthy church. Fellowship constitutes a healthy church. But I really think those three things are are what I want to say are the big three. Yeah. So just real quick here, I'm not looking for lengthy explanations, but um, can a church meet in somebody's home? Yeah. <laughs> it's happened before. Right. We've done it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Let's see here. Can your church be made up of just your family? No. I, 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 well, I, <sighs> What if you have eight people in your family? Well, it's not a numbers thing, though. Is I know. It? I'm kidding. Is it? It's it's because if you're gonna do that, then you would just have every family would just have family worship, and that would be the church. The church is the corporate gathered of the body of Christ under 
the right preaching of God's word, the proper administration of the ordinances, and the practical application of healthy discipline. So it, it has to be a con- it has to be a group of people coming together to do that. And one family just isn't that. Right. So if you go to a church and the three things that we outlined are in place and being done well, um, is it reasonable to leave that church for some reason that doesn't fall under those three? No, absolutely not. And our, our 1689, our, our confession of faith has a paragraph that says, I'm paraphrasing here, but it says along the lines of if there's um, things that we feel like aren't being handled in the church properly, that we will not leave the church because we think those things aren't being handled properly. We will wait and we will trust the Lord and we will submit to his leadership in the church because we believe that he's the one who's ultimately the head over the church, not us. And so I think there are only a few reasons to actually leave a church. And one would be if the preaching is just not biblical, absolutely get out of that church. And so, you know, we've gotten a little bit of pushback from some of the things I've said of the other churches that I've visited. But the fact of the matter is, is if you go to a church and the preaching is just all over the map and, or it's just a a running commentary, like you could pick up a book on that book of the Bible and read the exact same thing and there's no... There's no preaching involved. There's a difference there, between explaining yeah, and preaching. Right. And, and, or, or you're just hearing a sermon on some good tips for daily life. Get out. If you go there and they're talking about, you know, communion can be, you know, it's just minimized. It's not a big deal. Um, or you they know, never do it. They never do it. Or they do it once or twice a year. Or when they do, it's it's kind of a... Or when they do it, if it's just like tagged at the end and it's the Christian snack at the end of the service and it has no weight and no reverence to it at all. If baptism is done, so a good example would be Stephen Furtick. You know, he had um, a big baptism at his church and he had a whole bunch of people who were believers and already been baptized come forward to get baptized to kind of prime the pump, if you will, to get people to come up and be baptized. Get out of that. That is that is absolutely. I, I'm going to go so far to say that's sin. That's sin. That's a making a mockery of what the ordinance of baptism actually is. And then the last thing is if discipline isn't being applied properly, yeah, it's it's time to move on, both positive and, be, and negative. I would say it'll be pretty easy to tell because when you go for years without having any kind of discipline at all, which I think we would both agree a level of discipline occurs just kind of in the way that we interact with one another. But Well, the problem is, is a bigger church doesn't have that. If you go to right, a church you can, that has 500, 700,000 of you people... You don't have the accountability. You don't have the accountability. Right. And so you can go there for years and never, ever, ever have the discipline issue affect you. But a church who has no interest in discipline, I was going to say, like right. it's going to feel wild in there and you're going to be able to tell. Or it's just going to feel super nominal. It's going to feel like you were going to a concert with a motivational speech. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of that and go find somewhere where, where you hear the word of God rightly preached and you're challenged by it, where the ordinances are rightly practiced, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and go to a church where you can experience healthy discipline, both positively and negatively, because that's how you're going to grow in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. You got a question of the day? 
I do. It has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. Excellent. All right. What's the best pair of shoes you've ever owned, and why are they so good, Brian? Oh, okay. So I had... You might actually know who this guy is. He's an old-school skater. Do you remember Jeff Rowley? Oh, I was going to say Steve Caballero, but no. okay, Jeff Rowley. I know the name. I don't, I don't know him. Uh, Steve Cab is awesome. Dude, we got married, and me and my wife both had Caballeros on. That's amazing. <laughs> this so one of my like best friends in high school... Um, his dad immigrated from the Philippines, and he looked just like Steve Cavallaro. Oh, dude, he was so good, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Jeff Rowley, he had these Globe skate shoes. The brand is Globe. Hey, he had a band called The Faction, too, and The Faction was written like the old-timey Batman symbol. It was pretty cool. That's I used awesome. To, yeah. Anyway, That's sorry. Awesome. Go ahead. So it had... like So their skate shoes were like big and puffy, yeah, right? Yeah, like simple, like those shoes. Eh... Kind big puffy. Those are big puffy shoes. Yeah, yeah, and, but the tongue was like all the way around. <sighs> it was. It wasn't detached, and so it was like a slip-on almost. Mm. But it had laces. But they were like walking on clouds. They were so heavy. Wow. But they were so comfy. Jeff Rowley's. My shoes are the exact opposite. Mine are any pair of Chucks that I've ever owned. I love All Stars. I love. Converse. I could wear those all day long. If I could, I would do my ministry. I would do the funeral service. I'd nice. do everything I could in those Chucks All-Stars. I love those. I didn't Absolutely own my f- first pair of Chucks until I was 29. Yeah, that's sin. The travesty. My mom... We, we do, I can't believe we didn't do church discipline on My you. mom told me, Brian, if you get those in a size 13, they're going to look like clown shoes. And so I never did. But they didn't. They didn't. No, dude, they're so good. I just wore the crap out of my first pair yeah. of them. It's time to get another yeah. pair. Yeah, they're great. Absolutely great. They hurt your feet if you're on them for a long time. But man, they look so good. They're so good. Yeah. I love those shoes. So the question was your favorite pair of shoes? Most what comfortable? Is the best pair of shoes you've ever owned, and why are they so good? Chucks are mine because they look damn good. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, that's our question. Um, and if you are in a good church, we are super pumped for you. Stay and be throw yourself into it. Yeah. And if you don't have a good church, get one. <laughs> because Thanks, Woody. Because we believe... <laughs> that you belong. <laughs>